Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. We are so excited to have Stephen and Mary Hackett with us today to talk a little bit about Josiah, their family, and their journey with St. Jude. Welcome, Stephen and Mary. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to have y'all. Let's just start with when your medical journey with Josiah began. Yeah, so Josiah, who is 13 now, uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor at his six-month well baby checkup. Our pediatrician had some concerns, and we were, you know, we were young. We'd only been married a couple of years, but the pediatrician saw some things that he uh, just wanted to follow up on, and that quickly unfolded and from a concerned pediatrician to about a day and a half later having an MRI at the Bonner here in Memphis that sort of showed the extent of the brain tumor that he had developed. Wow. So just a, you're thinking as a young new parents, you're just going in for a six month well baby checkup, probably even having some anxiety about it. He's going to get shots and what's that? And we're going to figure out his weight and height and all that stuff. And was it pretty quickly that the pediatrician was able to, was it something Josiah was doing? Was it something that he wasn't doing? Was it just yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. Like we can look back and look at pictures and, and see now like, oh, it was so obvious. Like he had lost a couple of skills even as six month old. He wasn't able to hold his head up as well when we did tummy tummy time as mm-hmm. he was able to when he was four months old. And he used to suck on both thumbs and he just quit, kind of started ignoring the left side of his body. He wouldn't mm-hmm. turn his head that far to the left side. And I remember even asking the pediatrician like can babies be left-handed or right-handed because he really seems to favor this side and they listened and said you know look we'll watch that and just see but you know try to offer him toys on left side try to feed him from the left side first that sort of thing um the only clue that we had was that his head was really big Mm. um but he comes from a long line of big-headed people (laughs) so (laughs) that wasn't really a concern of ours right um but that is how we went from having shots and getting weight and head circumference measured to oh let's go get an ultrasound tomorrow okay from the ultrasound um at one hospital the nurse came in did the ultrasound and she was real chipper and real sweet and real um lively and then after she worked on his head doing the ultrasound through his soft spot, uh, his fontanelle, um, she got real quiet and we kind of waited. She just said, I'll be right back. Let me go get the doctor. And so the doctor came and we're like, okay. Yeah. Doctor came in, redid the whole ultrasound at that point. Like we're staring at each other. We're staring at him. I mean, we don't know what, mm-hmm. what's going on. The ultrasound is just a bunch of black and white. We have no idea. And um, after he finished that ultrasound, he left, came back with his phone number on a post-it, his personal cell phone number, Mm -hmm. and the number uh, or the name of the person that was going to meet us at Le Bonner and said, you need to drive to um, your local children's hospital right now. Don't stop to get lunch. Don't stop to pack a bag at your apartment. Go there now. Um, There's a mass on your child's brain. So that's what we did. And like Stephen already said, it was a whirlwind. I mean, that was Thursday. 
And then Thursday was well baby checkup. Friday was ultrasound. Saturday was emergency MRI. By Sunday, they said you're having surgery on Monday and it's most likely cancerous. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And sort of the, if that weren't rough enough, it was actually Mary's first Mother's Day was that weekend. And um, so that always is bittersweet. Uh, but Josiah mm-hmm. was also uh, baptized that Sunday at the Bonner. Wow. And uh, the church we were at at the time just showed up in force, so much so that the next week I had a, a visit from the president of the hospital <laughs> yeah. who had heard about how many people had come to see us. <laughs> yeah. And she wanted to know <laughs> what was going on. Why? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it, it really was just uh, within a few days, you know, our entire lives changed. Yeah. So on that Sunday... Your Mother's Day, and you baptize Josiah, knowing the very next morning he's going in for major surgery. Right. We had no idea if if he would come out, um, who he would come out as. I mean, the brain is in charge of a lot of things. We mm-hmm. didn't know if he was going to be able to smile physically, like mm-hmm. motor, uh, if he would be able to, or if his personality would be changed. They're just It was all unknown. And so... When you met, obviously you started meeting with nurse surgeons and, um, you know, all of that type of um, medical personnel. Did they tell you, obviously you knew where the brain tumor was and so mm-hmm. much of where the tumor is has a big impact on what they can do, how much they can do, how much they can remove. Um, was that already kind of explained to you that weekend or was it more of... We have to go in. We have to get as much as we can. And then we'll start the process of what's next. This has to be immediate. How did that kind of go that weekend? What it's some of it is fuzzy because right, that was a yeah. shocking weekend. Such a shock. Yeah, there, there was but, definitely a sense of urgency of we don't have all the answers, but we got to go. We okay. got to do something. Um, but they did, the MRI did show, uh, where it was in his, in his brain and that a portion of the tumor was, was very close to, uh, the brain stem where you can't really operate. It's, it's right. too vital. Um, but he came to, to the full credit of the, the neurosurgery team at the Bonner. He came through it remarkably intact. And, he really did. And even in those days in the ICU after his surgery, you could tell that he felt better. Wow. Um, yeah. That the neurosymptoms had begun to clear up. Uh, it was just a sort of a, a very long journey, but that first surgery, all the, the scary things they tell you, really none of them came to pass that first weekend. Wow. I wow. think they have to, it wasn't done like as a scare tactic, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they have to let you know, like, this, this is possible. This is worst case scenario. Right. Maybe not any of that will happen. Maybe all of that will happen. We don't know. Each child is different. Each brain tumor is different, mm-hmm. depending on the location, the stage, how it started, where mm-hmm. it started. So we we did know that they weren't going to get all of it. Um, that is a reality for some people, but mm-hmm. it wasn't for Josiah. He still has it um, in his head. So we knew that it wasn't all going to go away. And we knew that there would be some motor uh, issues that he would most likely have left side weakness. Mm-hmm. There were other things. I remember them saying he might not be able to see at all out of his left eye or the left field of vision. And he does have limited uh, like peripheral vision, mm-hmm. but he can he can see straight in front of him. So where the placement was, 
was really making such an impact on the left side, everything mm-hmm. that had to do with the left side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was Josiah's actual diagnosis? What type of tumor, type of cancer? What? Yeah, it's an astrocytoma glioma brain okay. tumor. And it's an indeterminate stage. It couldn't tell us if it was like, usually it's stage one through stage four. Um I think, unless that has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't, we still don't know. They've, they have retested parts of his tumor that were taken during a biopsy. They retest them every few years. If they're like, oh, I think we can get more information, um, they'll retest it, but they still don't know. So wow. it, yeah. it's wild. I think there was even disagreement uh, at St. Jude and Le Bonner about what to grade it. And so they sort of right. marked it as, I don't know, put a question okay. mark on the form. Wow. Uh, because it was so, it was so large when they found him. He was just six months old. Right. But in the years since, it has acted much more like a low-grade tumor. In fact, that it hasn't come back aggressively after chemotherapy. I got, spoiler alert. He's doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I feel like we probably should have started with <laughs> yeah, that. Probably, probably. So some people that are listening can yeah. breathe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, just you can take a deep breath. Great. Yeah. I think you did say he's 13 now. Yeah. So. And, and it's hard because this particular diagnosis is really rare in infants. Mm. Uh, it's This is a much more common brain tumor type, you know, in adults or yeah. even even teenagers. But in infants, it's a pretty small number. And so I think just the, the amount of information to mm-hmm. go off of, you know, that grew with Josiah's diagnosis. And that's one cool thing about yeah. being at St. Jude is that our experience and what they learn about him can help kids down the road. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. 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 Affect treatment protocols for other people and say, actually, we have seen this once. Let's go back and find that patient and see what worked for them or what didn't work for them. Yeah. Wow. And so on that, you're at Le Bonner. You spend how long? Uh, uh, About a week. We were a week initially. And then, uh, I don't know, a week or 10 days after his first surgery, he started showing some symptoms of increased intracranial pressure okay and so we ended up having a shunt put in to help drain that pressure and uh having the shunt put in and then we had it revised several times in a very quick succession so in the from may of 2009 to say that fall we were in out of the hospital a lot Mm -hmm. um we we went back and looked because by October, like, is this just what happens to everybody? Is this just our life now? It was every six weeks, no fail. Like, wow. Every six weeks, there was a brain surgery or some sort of surgery. He Doing, would show signs of, it's kind of... We'd be like, oh, he quit smiling. Let's go get a CT scan. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. And it well, was, and, it and was we've, so... And we've learned, too, with shunts, too, that you really, like a, a what may be a normal stomach bug for another child, where... You know, as parents, as with your other children, it's concerning. You don't love seeing them throw up. <laughs> no, right? no, I don't. <laughs> but with a child with a shunt, you always yeah. have to take into account it could be yeah. the shunt malfunctioning. It could be this. And so you have to react pretty yeah. quickly you to make sure. You just got to be on high alert yeah. all the time. Yeah, we just had a, a, a little bit of a run with that about a year ago. Josiah ended up having his appendix out. What? Um, yeah. It's like a normal kid no, that thing. That was August. It was feels it August? like a year ago. But that was well, okay, so it was six months ago, <laughs> five months ago. But uh, even then, like the shun is always part of the conversation. So that the concern is, well, if if his appendix burst or if he has some sort of infection after surgery, the shunt's a highway to the brain. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you don't want gut infection in your brain. Apparently that's bad. Right. Um, I'm not a doctor, but it seems really bad. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so, yeah, the shunt is like an, an ever-present concern, yeah. e- even now. And he's had, he had a shunt revision a few years ago, uh, just kind of out of the blue, just like, it's not feeling good. It's like, well, again, most kids, it's like, well, you know, you can have the day off from school and, you know, get, get some rest. Yeah. But it's like, oh, because he has this, we gotta, we have to go through all these checks to make sure that it's not the big scary thing. And sometimes it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so for him... Because of the tumor that's still there, is that what is making the cranial pressure continue to be there and him needing the shunt even 12 and a half years later? So the tumor, so you have ventricles in the Mm -hmm. middle of your brain that kind of control like how much CSF, cerebrospinal fluid, your brain needs at that moment. And it drains naturally. His drain, natural drain was all messed up when the tumor grew through there. Okay. And so that's when we decided he needed a shunt. Got so he actually yeah. has two shunts. The first one didn't work. It wasn't enough. So we added a second one. And then the second one failed. The valve failed, I think. Mm-hmm. And then and then finally we got it all worked out, mm. <laughs> yeah. the amount of shunts that he needed. And then that worked beautifully for a decade, 10 years. Until two years ago, okay, we had to have some stuff. Switched. And just to put kind of, uh, I'm going to put shunt kind of in layman's terms just a little bit, but in essence, it's put in the head, mm-hmm. right? Underneath, mm-hmm. like it's, if a child has hair, often you don't even know that it's there. Right. There's a little kind of bump lump that you can feel. <laughs> yeah. But obviously when he was tiny, bald, bald headed, you could have seen it. And then it has, it's connected to where it, it is a drain that goes, a tube that goes into the stomach area, mm-hmm. right? The, end of yeah, the abdomen. Abdominal yeah. cavity. And then that's what allows the fluid to drain where obviously right. Josiah and other children with shunt are having something that's causing them not to be able to drain properly. And you mm-hmm. don't want the brain obviously to swell or get bigger. And so that's what's kind of preventing that. Um, Forrest had a, a external shunt yeah. when he was in the ICU. Um, and so we knew down the road when he was a little more stable that, that he would have uh, an internal shunt from just the damage that had been done from the group B strap causing him to go to septic and Mm -hmm. um, his brain bleed. And so we had the external shunt, which just means that the tubing went out, not into his body. It actually went into um, kind of a, what would you call like a medical device that you could see on the outside and we could, yeah, it like collected his CSF Mm -hmm. fluid. So, um, so kids can have, obviously you can't, live life with an external shunt. Mm -mm. And so, you know, that's what the internal shunt is for. So, you know, one of the many things, obviously, Josiah has had to help him Mm -hmm. to be able to be, you know, as normal of a kid as as possible. Um, Well, what made you, so you're, you're in the hospital. How quickly did you get news that it was cancer? They, after the MRI, before surgery, they said, Basically, you need to prepare that this is what this is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a little while after surgery for the official diagnosis, of course. But we knew going into that surgery that uh, that this is what we were facing in some flavor. Uh, the neurosurgery team basically had told us that, you know, for an infant, for something to be this big, it's it's basically has to be cancer. Uh, something that maybe more... Uh, benign wouldn't necessarily be this size at his age. 
And based on their experience, you know, they, I think they wanted us to to be easing into that mm-hmm. before before we just got hit with a diagnosis and a label, kind of beginning to understand what we were going to be facing. Yeah. Right. It wasn't going to be finished that weekend. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That you had a journey in front yeah. of you. And so obviously we live here in Memphis. We have, you know, one of the best cancer hospitals in the world. Um, and so I imagine you chose St. Jude, obviously location, all that stuff. But what else? What else made you say St. Jude is where we need to be? This is going to be the care that Josiah most needs. Yeah. What made you choose St. Jude? For us, it was actually the other way around. Uh, if I remember correctly, and you can interject if I got this wrong over the years, but uh, my recollection is that sort of af- the days after surgery, we're meeting with the neuro team and basically we're told, hey, St. Jude is going to be responsible for his treatment. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and this is Mary's story, so I'm stealing your valor for a second, but um, <laughs> Mary has this great story. Why don't you just tell the story about like you trying to get in touch with them? And they- oh, yeah. 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 So we, they had said, yeah, you're going to need to to be in touch with St. Jude. He's going to, you know, right now he's a patient of honor. He's going to be a St. Jude patient. And so, okay. So I find the number in my phone and I'm calling and like, so, um, hi, my name is Mary Hackett. My son was just diagnosed, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're still in at Le Bonner, but I know we're coming to you guys. Um, what do you need from me? Like, do I need to send you my insurance information? Do you need our, you know, his birthday, his, how do I get his medical records sent from here to you and they're like, don't worry about it. Just come in. We'll, we'll give you a tour. Um, we'll come by tomorrow. Just come by tomorrow and we'll give you a tour. We've got everything that we need. Don't worry about it. Like, wow. are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Do you hear what I said? Yeah. Like my kid has a brain tumor. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You like, gotta uh, need something from me. <laughs> yeah. And that's really been our experience the whole time there. And just, I yeah. still followed by St. Jude. In fact, uh, his annual checkup is about six weeks away, five weeks away. And that's all done there. Yeah. But their what sets them apart is their um, their efforts for complete sort of complete sphere of care. And so you know, like you said, we're fortunate. We're f- actually both from here. We've never lived anywhere else. St. Jude is always just sort of in the background here, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, it's that they got the mm-hmm. weird gold dome downtown. Mm-hmm. It's like and the sweet commercials that make you cry. Mm-hmm. Yes, the yeah. celebrities that come beside them. Yeah, right. And what we quickly learned is that you know most families have travel and housing needs and St. Jude takes care of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were fortunate that we were here. We stayed in our tiny little apartment we had when we first yeah. got married and yeah, I was able to work some. And for so many families, there's it's there's so much more to take care of. And St. Jude does a lot of work to, to care for the whole family. Mm-hmm. In addition, mm-hmm. of course, to having all of the medical treatment done without charging the families anything. Yeah, And that is... Amazing. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine having to go through something like this with the added financial pressure that so many people feel. And we're very blessed that we didn't have that because of St. Jude. But it's a huge deal yeah. to to know that that's just okay. We need an MRI. We need surgery. It's like just do it. You know, yeah. we don't have to worry yeah. about. Can we afford it? Yeah. Do we have it in savings? Can we afford the down payment to go to the ER? Like, whenever we knew that he was having shunt problems we would need to go to the ER for Le Bonner, not the St. Jude, because his surgery would be done. All neurosurgery was done at Le Bonner because they share that neuro team. Um, instead of having duplication of services with two amazing hospitals less than a mile away from each other. Um, so we would just 
call St. Jude and say, hey, uh, we think he needs surgery. And they're like, go ahead, just go on. (laughs) So we would go to the ER and be like, hey, St. Jude sent us. And they're like, go ahead, go back to your room. I mean, talk about amazing amazing treatment. So I was going to say just one of the beautiful things of Memphis is the relationship that our children's hospital, Le Bonheur Children's Hospital, has with St. Jude. And Mary touched on that, how the neurosurgeons and many of the other physicians and surgeons actually have uh, where they can do things at both hospitals and they work Mm -hmm. so well together. And if a St. Jude patient needs something that maybe St. Jude doesn't have, like ECMO is one Mm -hmm. prime example, that child will be sent to the Lebonner ICU or, you know, whatever else um, needs to be done. And one thing, too, that I think is different than Lebonner Children's Hospital, than many of the other hospitals we work with and other children's hospitals, is that Lebonner doesn't treat cancer. There is no floor, mm-hmm. unit, any of that, because we have this amazing hospital. And so where if someone is someone else, you know, somewhere else, Charlotte, North Carolina or Chattanooga or Nashville, those children children's hospitals do have a cancer wing or a cancer floor, mm-hmm. and so they can receive treatment there. They can, um, you know, do their chemo or have different things and see oncologists there. Obviously, St. Jude takes in children from around the world mm-hmm. to be seen, and so many children do come here from very far away, um, but many of the other cities offer oncology treatment as well, which mm-hmm. is something different that Lebonner does not need to. They, mm-hmm. It'd be silly to offer mm-hmm. cancer treatments knowing that we have St. Jude. And so it is a beautiful thing. After David and I lost Forrest, he was in residency. And so we were really discussing what it would look like after, you know, what what, where did we want to end up? Where was he hoping to be in attending and practice? And one of the biggest, strongest pulls for us is that we said we will never be farther than 15 or 20 minutes from a children's hospital Mm -hmm. because you just never know when you're going to need it. And there's so many draws to Memphis, but one of those draws was we have Le Bonheur Mm -hmm. and we have St. Jude. And Mm -hmm. those are things that when you're raising children, you hope you never need. Right. But Obviously, they're there for a reason and for a purpose. And, you know, we've needed Le Bonheur one way or another through all four of our children. Maybe <laughs> none quite as, you know, extensive as two months in the ICU with Forrest. But it is something that's just such a gift to Memphis that I don't yes. even know if all of Memphis totally understands. Yeah. Um, and we hope you don't. We hope that, <laughs> right, you don't need Le Bonheur or St. Jude. But what a gift that we have those in our backyard. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I can't count the number of conversations I've had with other St. Jude parents. You know, like if if this is where we have to be, then yes, this is where I want to be. Obviously, I'd rather not have a child who might be dying of cancer mm-hmm. at this moment. But if that's that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And so since this is our reality, then absolutely I want to be here. Yeah. I remember the first day that we went when we took that tour. Um, and was he still in? He was still inpatient. He was Lebanon. still recovering from surgery. Okay. We wow. At that point, we hadn't even gotten his shunt put in. So very He just quickly. was sleeping off some anesthesia. And so we went across the street to um, St. Jude 
uh, I don't think we even met his medical team. He didn't have a medical record number or anything. We just knew he was going to be there. They had his name. And so we were taking a tour like, this will be your clinic. Um, here's the bathrooms. Here's where you register every day. But I do remember a nurse saying to us, once a St. Jude patient, always a St. Jude patient. And when she said that, that made me so angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, this is not where I want to be. This is not where I want to be with our six-month-old. You know, we were supposed to be having playdates. We were supposed to be waiting for you to come home from work. And I was stay-at-home mom at the moment and loving that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really was not happy with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But over years of spending weeks, weeks at at St. Jude and um, meeting so many of the amazing staff, getting to know um, friends that I didn't know that I needed, that's become, I guess, like a security blanket Mm -hmm. instead of a curse, like it felt like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once a St. Jude patient, always a St. Jude patient. Because he is still here with us, thank God. I know that he, he's always going to have doctors who understand him. He's always going to have doctors who are looking out for him, who know him. A lot of those doctors, his PT, his OT, his speech therapist, they've spent more time with him than some of his um, aunts and uncles and cousins. Mm-hmm. They know him. They know us. And it's like being home. It's mm-hmm. a comfort now. Mm-hmm. And are all those through St. Jude? When you talk about the PTOT speech, all of that came from? All in-house when we were on treatment. All in-house. Yep. Yes. And then has continued even now, outpatient, the therapies he receives? The, the therapy he receives now is through school. Okay. Um, but So there was a transition. There was a transition. Mm-hmm. But as part of his annual checkup, which includes an MRI, uh, we will also have consults with PT, OT, and speech. So they still have their hand in it, their hand in it, their input into how he's doing. Okay. I mean, and his, his OT taught him how to walk. Like we have video of it and she's yeah, still took, there. Took his first steps with her. Yeah. Wow. Um, Thank you, Angela. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they are still part of his care, even if it isn't day to day like it once was. Yeah. So you tour, you know, we talk a lot about the new normal, that yeah. this became your new normal. You didn't choose this. You would never choose this. Um, you wouldn't choose this for anyone, Mm-mm. but it was what you were given. And so you had to figure out what does this new normal look like? And obviously, like you said, you know, and and we've seen it that, you know, in that moment, I feel like you really have this, this point where you go, am I going to go right where I stay just angry and bitter and just so unbelievably feeling wronged? Or am I going to go left where I say, okay, this is not what I chose. This is not what I want. This is not the life I want. But what are we going to do with that? And how are we going to move forward? And so Obviously, y'all made the, the choice to go that way. Eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I wanna, is there a middle choice? I know, where I know, you just I know. And, I do. and then you choose. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. And I do, I do want to say on that too, you know, obviously y'all are 12 and a half years past diagnosis, onset, all of that stuff. Y'all's has been yeah. a, a lifetime and will be a lifetime journey. I am, you know, 14 plus years um, 
please hear all three of us say we are where we are today through a lot of really bad days and really angry moments and really sad moments and moments of frustration. And, you know, I, I can speak on, on my behalf of just, it took a long time to get to that place. And so if you are in the throes of this right now, please don't, please don't hear us saying buck up and, you know, do this and that you got to sit in it. You got to feel it. You got to, you got to work through that and you do have to figure out what is the new normal because as you said survival Josiah was dependent upon you for every aspect of his life not just his care but his life his feeding his everything and so you didn't have a choice to be able to just curl up into a ball and say I'm not going to do this I refuse I'm going to just be in a corner mm-hmm. you had to choose to put one step in front of the other. Um, and so so you you visit. Does he have a little time where he gets to go home or is he immediately admitted to St. Jude? He did have to recover a little bit. We had to let his brain heal from yeah. surgery. Okay. And so especially since he had to immediately go back a week later and have the shunt put in. After between the shunt and starting treatment, I think that was about maybe two weeks. Okay. So all this is like the first weekend in May, Mother's uh-huh. Day weekend, like we said. And then his first round of treatment of chemotherapy was the beginning of June. Okay. So you go home mm-hmm. and he rests and recovers at home. Mm-hmm. And, and then were your treatments inpatient or outpatient? How was that at St. Jude? Yeah. yeah. So we would be inpatient for two or three days. He would have chemo the nights of those of our stay. And then they would send us home to recover between the rounds of chemo. And especially at the beginning, there were so many other things to manage. We were outpatient at St. Jude almost every other day anyways, unless his numbers were really suppressed from the chemo. And they said, don't come in, stay at home. But we would have, uh, we would be on this cycle where we would uh, do chemo. He would have a couple of, you know, couple of rough weeks recovering from that, doing all this other stuff, PTOT speech, et cetera. And then his numbers would come back up and we would hit him again with another round. And that was, um, it was 18 rounds of chemo over the course of about 20 months. So mm-hmm. we had to slow down a little bit at the end because he just couldn't take once a month anymore. Right. At first it was every 21 days, 21 day cycle. And as it took longer for his body to recover, we, it would move to 28 days eventually. Yeah. And so that was the next um, the next 18 months, and it was more of that survival mode. You know, one thing I wish someone had told me and what, what we try to tell families who are, are in it is that it is not only okay, it is necessary that you take time for yourself because mm-hmm. we didn't, and yes. no one told us to. And we paid for that in, mm-hmm. in big ways for years to come, and... It would it would always would have been traumatic and horrific, mm-hmm. but I think had we had even in the eighteen months, if we had a way to have a day where it's like, hey, we're just gonna reconnect, we're gonna mm-hmm. talk, we're gonna see check in with each other. Um, but you know, we were on the the chemo treadmill, and mm-hmm. it was uh, it was backbreaking. It was really brutal. Mm-hmm. And so looking back now, because I know that y'all 
parent mentor and Mm -hmm. love on families that are in situations where they need St. Jude. And so that's something that you'll say of take a break, breathe, go on a date, Mm -hmm. go on a long walk or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, And that is hard. I mean, it's, it's hard. And I think, too, in the world we're in, the world is accepting that more of how important mental health is and how important it is to focus on yourself. I mean, I feel like even 13, 14 years ago, the word self-care, mental health, those they weren't (laughs) around. I still hate that phrase. (laughs) But they weren't around. No, they they really did not exist. And so when your child is sick, you know, there wasn't. I had, I did have, I had a nurse who will, and and honestly, we also had an ICU doctor who um, really made me. I mean, truly mm-hmm. made me. There was one time that I, I came in and I had a terrible case of mastitis, and it looked and felt like I had the flu, and I was so unbelievably sick. But we had also that same morning found out that that Forrest was really struggling and come to find out he needed a chest tube and that he was having a lot of buildup of fluid, which was causing um, a lot of issues with his lungs and his heart. And so his his stats were all over the place. So Forrest was having a bad day, and I was having a bad day. Mm. And I remember David having to truly look at what do I do? Like, do I go with my wife to the hospital? Because Labonner can't treat me. And so I had to go to a different hospital. Do uh, I go ma'am, with you're my... an adult. You're going gonna to need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> we have actually numerous stories of of actually them thinking that I needed to have my blood pressure checked. And they were like, we don't have one your size, <laughs> which now I look back because I've seen some some bigger boys in that yeah. ICU that I'm like, you have teenagers who are bigger than you. was smaller than his, <laughs> but all that to say, but there were a few times that we kind of, but I remember David truly having, we got woken up by a phone call from the ICU saying, Force is not doing okay. You know, we're struggling with this, 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 and looking at me and I was pouring sweat like I was, I was very sick, and I remember him. And we've talked about it obviously since going. What, what do I do? I mean, what? Yeah. My son really needs me, and my wife really needs me. And I was the one that was like, "You go to Forest, find me somebody else." And so a dear friend came and picked me up mm-hmm. and took me into the hospital and did figure out that I had terrible mastitis. But I still knew Forest was so unstable that I made that friend drive me from the other hospital to be with Forest. And I was sitting in a rocking chair by his side. And by that point I got there, they had done a chest tube and he was doing a little bit better. Come to find out he would need a second chest tube later because he had another bad day. But I remember sitting there rocking and the ICU doctor walking in and going, you can't be here. Mm. You look horrendous. (laughs) You can't be here. And you, you got to go. And he's He's more stable and me thinking, I have to. This is where I have to be. Right. Yeah. It's and, so hard to see in the moment. Yeah. Like, and I, when I say, ugh, I hate that phrase, it's not because it's stupid. It's mm-hmm. not because it's foolish. It's not because it's a waste of time. It's because I'm really, really bad at it. Mm-hmm. It's because I, I rolled my eye, eyes at it for years when I needed it most. Because I think I I just didn't want to accept that I needed anything. Mm-hmm. Josiah mm-hmm. needed so much 
I, we weren't even aware of what each other needed at that moment. We wouldn't find that out till we were through treatment and had a second child and another newborn in our family. They were like, oh, Mm -hmm. what happened? What are we, (laughs) what are we doing now that we're not on treatment? That's another story. But anyway, self-care is so important and and you need those people Mm -hmm. who can see it on your face. Like you shouldn't be here. Like you are in worse shape than your child at this moment. And you need to take a moment, whatever it is, reflect, if go running, Mm -hmm. be outside, just get out of the hospital room. So good for your brain. So good for your body. Even if it's just for five minutes while a nurse sits with your child, that baby will be okay. They will be there when you get back. And you need that time. And it's so, I do think it is so unbelievably hard to be able to do that. But even healthy children, Mm. you know, you need a moment. (laughs) Yeah. It it is so exhausting. (laughs) And so you need a moment. And we can't be our best selves unless we are also taking care of ourselves, And, yeah. you know, that's mm-hmm. that's regardless. But when you add into it the major stressors that y'all had going on, obviously your own mental health is going to be affected by that as well. And so whatever that may be, that's why, you know, we, the Forceman's Fund is such huge advocates of counseling and being able to help families with counseling and pay yes. for counseling. And we don't want it to ever be where family can't go to counseling because of finances. And so that's why the Forcements Fund believes so much in helping families with counseling, paying for their counseling sessions, because mm-hmm. it's going to. There's no way it's not going to wear on you or your marriage or your how you parent other children or yeah. your relationships with your friends and family and extended family. Um, and everybody has an opinion on yeah. how things should go. And so that's, I think that's good to even be able to talk about is, yeah. you know, the way that y'all are doing things may not be exactly what the grandparents think you should do or the aunt and uncle or whatever else. And so even being on the same page about that to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, deal with those things. Um, okay, so 18 months. So really past two. Mm-hmm was the intense treatment. And with that, is that shrinking what has been left by what they weren't able to get? The The goal of chemo was really to make sure what was left didn't grow again. Uh, his particular type of tumor is really not one to sort of shrink away. Okay. You know, where, oh, this scan, it's 15% smaller than the previous one. But uh, the goal was to to keep it basically where it was. And it was successful at that. He has not been back on chemotherapy since those original 18 rounds. Uh, we, we've had a close call here or two, an MRI that looks questionable. Um, we we flirted with chemo a few years ago, but ended and up... And when that being questionable, yeah. do you mean in growth? Like it looks like it's bigger? It yeah. looks like yeah. it's changed? Yeah. It looked like in, they saw it in new areas, but it also was a new MRI machine. And so like, we're not sure if it's just a better image. Wow. Okay. And um, so, yeah. Okay. That was a fun couple, yeah. couple of days working that out. Mm. Um, but And it, obviously that uh, always lives in y'all's head. Yeah. That yes. there is... It, it, it could be dead forever mm-hmm. what's left of his tumor it could grow next month there's just nobody knows yeah and with the his mri cycle has gotten longer initially it was monthly 
and then it was quarterly, and then for a long time it was every six months. Okay. And this will be the second or third year where it's been annual. Third, yeah. Third year. Wow. And that feels like a lifetime. Like we, I was going to say, that's I mean, got to be a little bit of both. Like, <sighs> wow, that's such a blessing. You're doing yeah. so well. But then 12 months is a long time. Yeah. yeah. My internal timer for it is still set at six months. Okay. So <laughs> his, his annual scans are in February. And I guess sometime in the fall, part of me thinks... It's about time. Like, yeah. let's do an MRI. Um, but he's in such capable hands at St. Jude and Le Bonheur. They both follow him. Okay. Uh, he has doctors at both hospitals. And this is, you know, based on their judgment and their expertise. And we have learned over the years that they know what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't times where we need to stand up for him or we need to voice a concern or a disagreement. Yeah. We do those things when they come up. But there's also an amount of trust in that these are the people that that are equipped to deal with this. They work at the best institutions in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. really, St. Jude and Lamont are both are world class in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, doubt. and so, yeah, that that always is in the back of our mind yeah. of like, you know, is this the scan or if something unusual happens? You know, it's always a it's always a thought. But um, but uh, amazingly. Those 18 rounds were enough, and he's been stable ever since. Wow. And in your roles as parent mentors and still being very involved at St. Jude, have you met other families with the same, similar, same diagnosis, Mm -hmm. diagnosed as a baby, as an infant? Not, let me think, not diagnosed as an infant. Um, We met one friend who, I think he was three or four Okay. He was three or four, but they actually, so I don't know if anybody is a partner in hope, uh, shameless plug for St. Jude, <laughs> you can sign to be a partner in hope and you um, give whatever you pledge monthly. So, and then you get this little mail out and there's usually a little picture of a cute little bald child up in the corner. And for a few months, our son was the cute little bald child <laughs> that went home to your, um, came in your mailbox. He was also on a billboard once, yes. which was very strange for us yeah. it's like and we approved it right it's like you're driving down the interstate it's like oh my <laughs> just, child my giant child is on, <laughs> is on a giant billboard <laughs> uh, but that was cool. um, yeah but she so they actually we were just chatting about like oh astrocytoma glioma oh yeah me too oh great because we we're like we we're both in the same clinic e-clinic and then we got more specific and um and then she said wait is your son's name Josiah? It's like, no. yes. I was just like, we're here because of you guys. Really? Like, you're going to have to back up. I don't know you. We yeah. just met in <laughs> yeah. the clinic waiting room. Her, one of her good friends was a partner in Hope and had gotten the mail out and saw that it said astrocytoma glioma, sent a picture of it to now my dear new friend in e-clinic and said, this is the same this, they've treated the same tumor that your son has. And that wow. is why they chose to come from wow. South Carolina, from South Carolina to Memphis okay. instead of being treated at their local hospital, yeah. which is a big deal for them. They had other children and they weren't really considering coming out of state, but they did. Wow. Wow. So you never know yeah. how your story will be used. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so you've touched a little bit on, you know, what are some things that you'd say to families? going through similar circumstances, what are, let's start with just maybe some resources that were helpful to y'all. Hmm. I mean, for, for us, I think the, the biggest thing was having a local group of 
friends and family in our church, mm-hmm. just having that support group. And Community. we were, yeah, we were blessed that St. Jude was in our hometown. Um, but we've, was, we've met so many families that they have to travel and their families are temporarily split. Maybe one parent is here for treatment, the other's at home with other children or yeah. jobs or whatever it is. But even in those situations, just having a group of people that you can be uh, open with and that can support you are, are huge. Um, a, a lot of the things that I think, like the parent mentor program at St. Jude, I don't think it was up and running at that point. At St. Jude? Yeah. No, we needed it so bad. We, we did need that. We asked know? for it. Like, is there anybody like four steps ahead of us who yeah. can, we could just look at and be like, even if your child didn't survive, you did. Yeah. Like you made it through this yeah. and it just yeah. didn't exist yet. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how good of a job we did at taking advantage of resources. Yeah. Um, I mean, psychology, we did, we met for us when we, I remember, I think it was after we, we lost our first of many, um, St. Jude friends, Mm -hmm. um, little patients and we lost the first one. It was really difficult. Yeah. And that's one of the things too, you know, we, we've been interviewing a lot of different people from different hospitals and, but one of the things we say is take advantage of what the hospital does offer resource wise. I do think, um, that, I'm with you when we were in the hospital. I didn't know the resources that were available. I didn't really ask what mm-hmm. resources are available because it was such survival. But now knowing all the resources and mm-hmm. um, knowing what St. Jude does offer as far as psychologists, psychiatrists, counseling, the things that they have in-house, mm-hmm. we're really encouraging utilize it. Yes. Now that I'm the person who tells other people and I know all of them, like, this is great. Trust me. Trust me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I wish we had known enough to to ask for those resources. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's no one's fault. We were so focused on our on our son and his his survival. Again, we weren't thinking about what we needed Mm -hmm. individually or as as a marriage or whatever. But, um, you know, whatever situation you're in, whatever hospital, there are those things there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, occasionally I'll get a question. In fact, I, got, I shared it with you. I got an email from somebody mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. They live in California, I think. And their teenager was just diagnosed with cancer. And they're going to be treated in California. They're not coming here. But this email was, what sort of resources are there? Mm-hmm. And my first thing was, you know, find uh a social worker or a caseworker at your hospital and ask because okay. the hospital's got stuff, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and if, and if they don't, they'll know who in their community does. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that was a lesson that, um, that we try to pass on mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you, you've got to have that stuff to make it through. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's very isolating to live so much of your life and for your child um, to live so much of their young life at the hospital, you really have to work hard on very little energy mm-hmm. <laughs> to to keep the community that you have, to mm-hmm. to continue the relationships that you have. Um, and obviously, like some of those, you're, you're not going to be meeting new people. I mean, like, let's go out for lunch, you know, mm-hmm. once a week. A lot of things are going to change and you'll have to give up a lot of things for your new normal. But um, it's important to to show up when you can to that girls' night, to go out when you can together and not talk about anything medically rela- related. Mm-hmm. Um, One of my, my favorite yeah. stories of, of how it can happen in the hospital is uh, some of the rooms 
now in the old inpatient building at St. Jude, the rooms would face each other instead of facing into the hall. And there was a little boy in the room across from us <laughs> who wanted to play hide and seek in the curtain, like mm-hmm. the door curtain. And I was just sitting there <laughs> like on my laptop. You know, it's like, just I was asleep. I think you were in the shower or something. <laughs> and this little kid just like kept knocking on the door and like wanting to play hide and seek. Yeah. The thing. And we ended up like meeting their family and we remained friends with them today. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they, they were a neuro patient. And sometimes those little things, you know, can make all the difference. And so we've gotten to know this family. It's been a huge blessing for us and hopefully for them. And just because like their four-year-old or whatever thought it'd be funny to like play hide and seek with you know, the angry looking 20 something old in the in the room across the hall. <laughs> he saw something that you needed. That's right. I know. Yeah. Kids, man. He said, you don't need to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was, you know, he was just, he was a patient. They had all their own stuff going on, but yeah, it really touched me. And those yeah. little moments happen in the hospital all the time if right. you look for them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Use child life, use yeah. psychology, use social work. A resource for me was the Jesus Storybook Bible mm-hmm. that was given to us by the Forrest Spence Fund mm-hmm. when Josiah had his first surgery. Um, we were talking about this in the car. When did you guys first start reaching out and like doing gift baskets for families? So we had to be on the beginning. Oh, yeah, you definitely were. Yeah. Um, in May 2009. Yeah. Um, so we, care bags was probably one of the first things that we did. Um, and also meeting child life needs. Those were like our two first things. Really, that's kind of what we envisioned. And then in 08 and 09, really, really 08 was the year we started to realize, gosh, we really want to help families, individual Mm -hmm. families. Mm -hmm. And you can't really do that Donor advised funds are amazing and they have great purpose. But the hard thing about donor advised funds is that you can only give to other nonprofits. You um, can't pay utilities or rent or or give a grant to a family or um, even pay counselors. All the things really, for the most part, we do now. And so in 08, we started really having the conversations, especially after that first 5K of we've got something here. People believe in what we're doing. People see the need for what we're doing. And so we started the process of becoming our own 501c3. And that wow. really became official in 09. Um, and so for that first year and a half or so, it really was care bags. And then um, we laugh now how much we went around. We would we would make a donation, a large donation to Labonner. Labonner would then, in essence, buy a Target gift card. And then the child life specialist would meet me at Target. And we would take carts <laughs> and we would go through Target and we would buy everything that they needed. We would, I mean, there's pictures from the very beginning and I'm hugely pregnant because we're having more children and we're standing behind carts filled to the rim with their needs. And so even that became, this is kind of crazy how we're getting to this part. Sure. We just need yeah. to be able to do this on our own. I need to go to Target, whatever. I want to go to Target when they need things. <laughs> um, and so I, mean, I remember getting the phone call about y'all. You know, we were um, newer parents also to our yeah. second son. And so I remember getting the phone call about the diagnosis and Josiah and what was going on. And so, um, and just saying, 
you know, I can easily put together a care bag. And so many of so much of our care bag is still the same. I mean, hmm. what was in yours back yeah. then? It was baskets. Yes. Yep. We had it was basket. like a laundry basket. And that was yes. his toy basket for yeah. the first year of his life. Okay. I love that. <laughs> now they're um, tote bags. And mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things is that when I'm at Labonner Parent Mentoring, I'll often see parents carrying the oh. bag, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. with all their other stuff in it. Because, you know, we've obviously added things through the years, but even in 08 and 09, you know, it was a lot of the books to read to the child, things for the parents to read. Chapstick. Um, chapstick, quarters. lotion, roll of quarters. Um, and so now we have more specific of like, this is for an infant. This is for a toddler. Oh. This is for an elementary. This is for a preteen. This is for a teen. Because obviously there's different, yeah, different you know, means. we're not going to give tiny black and white infant books to a teen. <laughs> we give more chapter books or... Um, you know, we're not going to give a preemie hat to a teen. We give a big hat. So <laughs> care bags are still a huge part, um, and we do them in all the cities. So it's cool. And yeah. I know, and I know yeah. over the years, you know, if we've met people, I've, like, texted you or emailed you, like, hey, yes. we know so-and-so. Can you check in on them? Mm-hmm. And so it's been yeah. it's been cool for us to be, you know, one of the earlier families that y'all helped to see it grow mm-hmm. and, and really – what y'all are doing, I think, fits in with what we've learned is that as parents or caregivers, we've got to also look out for ourselves mm-hmm. and and make sure that, that we're going to be OK at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's all of those stresses. They feel really small when your child is sick. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, who cares if I miss this bill or, you know, I'm not seeing a counselor or whatever. Mm-hmm. But those things will come to the surface eventually yeah and uh, when you come out of that sort of emergency mode and that was definitely the case for us in case for a lot of other families yeah and so that's really what we you know what we what we what we want to talk to families about is you know at some point you'll be out of the hospital this will be it'll always be part of your story but it'll be a chapter that's behind you and how that goes and who you are at the end of this has a lot to do with what you're doing right now yeah and it's really true. And you know, I can. Im- I'm sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> and I can imagine just as y'all. Um, I had somebody reach out to me after um, a- another family who's had a very, very difficult journey, and reached out to me after our first podcast re- was released, where we commented that we've all received advice that did not need to be given. <laughs> sure. I laughed so hard. I mean, holy part. moly. And so, um, <laughs> you know, from that, we were like, we will be doing one on what, how to love a family in difficult situations. And then we will also do how not to, yeah. things not, not to say, say or do. Oh, and yeah, we have some doozies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we, we all have some doozies that you just think, but it's also okay to say, I don't know what to say, yeah. but I yes. love you. I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. Or I'm just going to do this. I'm going to pick up your laundry. I'm going to drop off a meal. I'm yes. going to, you know, do whatever. And one of the things that we've really, I think, has probably been even more so through COVID showed us because I feel like 
me sitting with families in the hospital has always made a huge impact, not only on families, but also on me, that there's purpose in my pain and there's purpose in losing my child in that journey. Um, and obviously that's been harder to do parent mentoring when they won't let me in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But we haven't stopped any of the other aspects of what we do and what to us may be, you know, a care bag has a roll of quarters and da, 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 da. You know, maybe the care bag as a whole is about $125 where we also are, you know, paying large bills or we're paying off your title loan or we're giving you a $5,000 grant. We have learned through the years that those little acts are not so little. Mm-hmm. That they, I can't tell you how many families have said your care bag meant the world or your book you dropped off allowed me to read to my child in, in a moment when I didn't know how to interact with them because they had mm-hmm. so many tubes coming out or they had all yeah. these different things. or And so obviously I love when families reach out and say, I've got a family. Will you love on them? I will do it any day and every day, no matter where they are. But I also encourage back, you can do things too. You also can love them. Let me help you with some ideas. Let Let me encourage you in some ways. But we're here to not only be a support for you, but we also want to encourage everybody can do something. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be, but they can do something to show support. I mean, how much did it mean to you to get a text message that just said, thinking of you today? Yeah. Or or the friend of ours who did our laundry for a year and a half. I mean. Because in our tiny apartment, there was no washer and dryer. So at the time, we were just, I'd pack up all our dirty baby clothes and our clothes and go wash at my mom's house. We couldn't do that because we didn't know if we'd be home that day. Mm -hmm. We didn't know if we'd be in the hospital that day. And yeah, for a year, even chemo clothes, which you can't touch with bare hands, like stuff that he might have wet through on chemo, like you have to wear gloves, not touch it until it had been washed. And wow, dear, dear friends who kept us going. Yeah. And you'll never forget that for the rest of your life. That will always stay with you. Well, you talked a little bit about advice. We definitely have talked a lot about don't forget yourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Y'all were in a similar situation as us, is that Josiah was your only child. And so you could put so much of your focus mm-hmm. um, into Josiah because you didn't have other children. Y'all have obviously had other children. Um, and we'll talk about that. I want y'all to definitely tell me in a little bit how your family is doing as a whole. Is there any other advice or encouragement that you would give families that are in in this world currently or have maybe just received the news that their child has cancer? Um, I would say in any question that comes into your mind, ask it. Mm-hmm. Don't, this, this is a whole, for most people, unless you're already a nurse or a doctor or in the medical field, this is all completely new. I was a teacher. Stephen was at the time working IT. So neither of us have any sort of medical. And all of a sudden we're having to change a line that goes straight into his heart mm. to keep uh, and keep him from pulling it out of his chest at our house by ourselves without a nurse watching us. I didn't, I didn't learn that in college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you didn't day. learn it in the book that says how to, what's, what's yeah, the what book about children? What to expect when you're expecting? Yeah, there's not there a chapter on that. no chapter on that. <laughs> yeah. So ask all of the questions. Yeah. Like, uh, no question is too small. Or, no, yeah. yeah. And don't feel foolish. And if a doctor doesn't listen to you, just be like, you know what, can I talk to somebody else? Yeah. Um, no, don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not all hospitals are amazing like Le Bonheur. Mm-hmm. Not all hospital, not everybody has 
um, a doctor who's going to listen and, um, or a nurse. And so if you feel unsettled about something that's going on in your child's treatment or people whisk into the room and just start doing stuff, that's your child. You mm-hmm. can say, whoa, yeah. wait a minute, tell me what you're doing. How much are you giving him? You can ask for all the details. Yeah. Don't feel like that's not your place because yeah. unless your child is just very good at communicating and is old enough to use their words in that way, um, they're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could barely do it as an adult. I had That's something I had to learn. I think yeah. you've talked about that with other guests on the podcast, yeah. just about advocating. I just felt like it wasn't my place um, until I got so frustrated or so upset about something that had gone on during that round or in that inpatient experience where I just had to be like, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know that you went to school for this, Mm -hmm. but I'm his parent. So can you let me do that? Like you're making him upset. I know how to do it. Just let me do it. And you can watch me and then you can mark it off on your chart. And they were completely fine with that. But I had to say something. Yeah. So I would just encourage parents to speak up. And if you if you're thinking something, go ahead and say it. This is not the time to be like, well, let me just wait till next time because yeah. medical decisions alter the next medical decision. Yeah. So, yeah. And I would say on that too, um, and, you know, y'all can speak to this, the way that I approached forest and forest medical and forest care was very different than the way David did. Mm-hmm. And um, we were made very different you know, male, female, but we also are made very different in the way that we've learned a lot um, over our our marriage. We've learned a lot about, we we are fans of the Enneagram and some other different things. And so we've learned about each other, kind of what helps make us tick, but also knowing for each other to be open and honest. If you do have a parent that is in this world with you to be open and honest with each other about Mm -hmm. what you feel, what you see, how you're being affected by this. Um, David, by nature, is a fixer. And so he wanted to fix Forrest. And he also wanted to understand every aspect of the medical. I am a nurturer. And so I wanted to just sing and love and read and make his bed pretty. And <laughs> and I realized once David went back to full-time work, um, that was around day 14, day 15 for us, I realized I also had to understand the medical because it was me mm-hmm. day in and day out. And so it became a drinking from a fire hydrant yes. of what does all this mean? Because I had depended so much on David to explain it to me in layman's terms. And so, as you said, I had to be very open and honest and say, I don't know what a shunt is. Yeah. What do you mean? Break He's about down. to put something in a brain and it's going to come out into some fluid into it. Yeah. What? <laughs> and so having to say, it's okay. It, I'm not stupid. I am a right. educated person. Right. But I didn't go to school for this. And yeah. so being open and honest, like you said, with them saying, hey, explain it a little bit more. And as you said, too, if they can't, there's somebody else who can. Mm-hmm. We all have come across maybe some in the medical field that their, you know, their their communication skills could be better. You're so um, sweet. <laughs> and um, everybody has bad days. Everybody, yes. And even I'll never forget. I I had a hard time with one surgeon in general, and I remember saying, and it was truly how the surgeon spoke, and mm-hmm. and how the surgeon spoke to me, in particular, was known for making mothers cry. That was one of the oh things that was said. And oh. but I remember kind of 
saying something to David, and this has stayed with me in every aspect of every part of life. This has stayed with me with my own medical care, my own health things, and him saying, hey, babe, do you want him to be an amazing communicator and make you feel good and touchy-feely, or do you want him to be the best blank surgeon there is? (laughs) I chose the best surgeon because (laughs) that surgeon was cutting on my child, Mm. and in turn— I grew to understand that this surgeon maybe had different aspects that were hard. Man, I, honest to goodness, loved that surgeon. Once I got past the, we're struggling communicating here. But once Mm -hmm. I figured out like, okay, that's not, he's not going to make me feel warm and cozy. He's not going to say all the things, but he's an incredible surgeon. And in turn, we learn to communicate and speak in a healthy way. And he is to this day, one of my favorite people. Mm. And so thinking of, you know, we don't always get both. It's a real gift if you get a incredible surgeon physician who also has amazing communication skills or all of the above. We we got really lucky. We have one of those. (laughs) Yeah, he actually just retired, but our our neurosurgeon at Le Bonner was that way. Mm -hmm. And he he told us early on that no one else was going to work on Josiah but him. Yeah. And... There was one, I think one instance before he retired that someone else had to do something as he was like, I think literally out of the country. Yeah. He but was. when he came back in, he, he was like, I'm sorry I wasn't here. I was like, dude, you were like, I don't know where he was. Someplace with his family. I think family. he was teaching a conference. It was like, something very impressive. The next, yeah. It's like the next, the next nurse amazing neurosurgeon. Yeah. We're okay, yeah. you know, but um, yeah, you know, one thing that we were told, and I think St. Julie believes it, I think the Bonner does too is that we are part of the the care team. Yeah, yes. right? yeah. family-centered care. And yes, very much so. It, it's hard to step into that. It's hard to, to own it when someone else says that because it sounds sort of like a like a Hallmark card, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're part of the team. It's like, dude, I went to journalism school. Like, yeah. I'm not a surgeon. Yeah. But <laughs> having, um, having lived through it and learning over the years to stand up and to say things, and, you know, we've had, we have a couple instances where we had, Real big disagreements, but yeah. that's when there's someone else on the team you can communicate with. And at the end of the day, you know your kid better than anyone. Yeah, yes, for sure. Um, yes. Is there anything, and I feel like this can be, you know, hindsight, definitely 2020. Um, and sometimes I think when I say, what do you wish you had known? Um, you know, if you asked me that right now, I, I don't wish, I don't. If someone had said, do you, what do you wish you had known as far as I would not have wanted you to tell me what was coming with Forrest oh, no. um, because I, I don't think I could have thought about it, done it or whatever else. But is so I want to put that into context. But is there something that you wish you had known as far as I feel like you've touched on it with the self-care and doing things for yourself and mental health and psychology? Is there anything else that you wish you had known looking back now? 12 and a half, 13 years. Yeah. I, I mean, you you said it. I think I probably have already said it as well. I just, I wish that I had known that I could need things, mm-hmm. that it was okay for me to tell Stephen to communicate with him and say, I just can't take him by myself today. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I, I can't spend the night tonight. Can I just please be at home and you take him tonight and stay with him over chemo? I wish that I, I think, I don't know. I just didn't feel like, Again, like I had the right to need things when, mm-hmm. when our child 
like he had serious needs. Like, mm-hmm. so my little needs were, you know, I'll just suck it up, like mm-hmm. pull up your bootstraps and like mm-hmm. go sleep in the sucky hospital bed mm-hmm. um, when you're eight months pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be fine just for two nights. And I also wish that I, on along the same lines, I wish that I had let myself cry when I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, like you you said at the beginning, like mm-hmm. you've got to sit in it. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot that I just didn't sit in. It was like, mm-hmm. whatever, I'll deal with that later. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just push it back and keep on going because... Um, you know, we're, they're rounding right now. I can't have a panic attack. I'll have that panic attack later. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and some of those did come out, but a lot of them I just kept for later. And that was not good for me. Mm-hmm. It was not good for us. Mm-hmm. And um, I make up for it now. I cry very easily. <laughs> and I, I think it's good. Yeah. I think it's good. I'm just being who I am now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's it's very similar. Uh, but maybe a little more internal is that it was okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. maybe even further removed from that from Mary is that I think Mary had the self-awareness and maybe just the emotional maturity <laughs> to to know that she wasn't okay, even though I'm putting words in your mouth, I'm sorry, but maybe not externalizing it. It took me a long time yeah. to even realize that, yeah. that I was like fundamentally broken after this experience. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to sort that out, but, um, you know, just if someone had told me it's okay if you feel like this, mm-hmm. it would have made a ton of difference. Yeah. And, and so we, that's what mm-hmm. we try to communicate with families. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're both really drawn to other St. Jude patient families for that reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, and having talked with, um, with other dads in particular, I don't know if you guys know this. Men aren't necessarily the best at emotional uh-huh, stuff. Uh-huh. For it's just sure. me. Maybe yeah, it's just yeah. Me. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, the effects of the fall get us all at the end That's of the day. That's right. Um, but even talking with other St. Jude dads about mm. this, you know, so many of them have similar experiences. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Beauty from ashes, for sure. Yeah. Yes. How is Josiah doing today? He's awesome. Yeah. He's doing really well. So he just turned 13, which is very upsetting to us having a teenager all of a sudden, <laughs> but also very exciting because he is our oldest. Um, in the years since his treatment, you know, we, he's had his health be up and down. He developed a seizure disorder a couple years after his treatment, and uh, that's now in check thanks to neurology at Le Bonheur. Mm-hmm. But it took, it took years to get that under control. And there was a, a time period there where the, the seizure stuff was really serious and really scary. Um, but now that hopefully is in the past. It has been for, he hasn't had a seizure in two years. Two and a half years. Two and a half years, which is amazing. He was having them monthly, if not more often for a long time. So the the health stuff is still all kind of up and down, but you know, if he were here today, he would be talking, he would be laughing. He leads a very joyous life. Mm -hmm. And that's more than, you know, that first weekend we're worried about, is he going to be is he going to survive this? Is he, yeah, I wasn't ever thinking about Josiah thriving through any of it, yeah. right? It was just, is he going to be alive in four days? Is he going to... Will he celebrate yeah, his first birthday? Will he ever walk? All that stuff. And now, I mean, he's he has two younger siblings and they just have the best time together. And he's such a joy and blessing to everyone who interacts with him. And it's not because us. I mean, we're mm-hmm. as, we have no saying that we have no claim on that it is because of what he's I will totally disagree with what you just said <laughs> you Mary definitely do it. i've seen y'all in action with claim him. It. um but it is because of the experience he's been through and just who he's made to be yeah he's an incredible mm-hmm. person 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and his room's messy. He's thirteen, right? Yeah, so like yeah, we yeah. have the teenage he doesn't stuff doesn't smell great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, no thirteen-year-old boy does. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Um, and I've gotten the joy to to see him, Mary and Josiah, when we had our fire, came up and helped yeah. us, and a couple times, and it was. Um, Really a lot of fun to be able to see knowing how far y'all have come. And so I'm going to completely disagree and say that y'all have had a huge part in the joy and just the normal life that he has also gotten to experience. The going to school and going to church and doing different activities and, um, you know, that y'all have really made that a part. You haven't put him in a bubble and thought that he's so fragile that he can't still do life and um and that shows for sure yeah that took a long time <laughs> you know being 12 and a half years out out um you know a lot of that has changed yeah you know and it's yeah. not that it we couldn't be back on in square one i mean we could be at any scan but the longer we've gotten the more comfortable we've been with you know his his cancer is, while it's still present, the active part of his story is in the past. And so how do we move forward from that? And yeah. there's still a lot of questions around that. Yeah. You know, parenting a special needs child is really hard. Mm-hmm. Thinking about his future, even like long-term future, like I mean, after we're gone. I mean, all that's really hard mm-hmm. and complicated. Yeah. But it's such a joy to get to have conversations about like, well, where should, like, what should his schooling look like? Yeah. Because that was not. Yeah, promised it's, us. It's an honor. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. an honor to to still have him. Yeah. And um, you briefly said two more yes. siblings. And so, and then you also briefly said you were eight months pregnant even during treatment. Yeah. So Allison came when? She came two weeks after his counts came up. From his last round. From his last round of chemo. His wow. hair hadn't even started growing back. He had oh no eyelashes, no eyebrows. Wow. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was shiny, shiny, shiny bald. very, very shiny uh, in the hospital room, so yeah, holding so, his sister. So they're really close in age, and even mm-hmm. after his treatment, of course, we were still in the mode of like we're having very scans very often. We were outpatient, maybe weekly at that point, just yes, doing something. We were there twice a week for probably the next year, just doing rehab. So Services. we drug Allison to St. Jude as like an eight day oh, old, yeah. inf- like newborn. Wow. <laughs> we were still in it. Um, and then our youngest, uh, Jude, our youngest son, he came along a few years later. And so he is, uh, he's seven. And, you know, they have grown up with an older brother whose story is really complicated and hard. But I think it's made them, um, it's made them empathetic in a way that, I certainly didn't understand as a kid. Oh, I barely absolutely. understand it now. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's been really cool to see them and the way they care for him and look out for him. Even though he's the oldest, he's not really the oldest in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see their relationships, it's a joy for any parent, but it's a, we find special yeah. joy in it because, you know, there is a, a world where they wouldn't have known their older brother. Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah. so thankful that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I love hearing y'all say that, too, because that is it's a definite question that I have received as a parent mentor, um, especially in regards when someone is dealing with kind of a long term lifetime diagnosis and someone that's going to need a lot of care Mm -hmm. of whether they should have more children. Can I do it? Can I Mm -hmm. care for this child that has a lot of medical 
complications and things and needs a lot of care. We know that children with no medical needs need a lot of care. (laughs) And so adding that on top of it. And, um, you know, I love hearing y'all talk about that, that it hasn't taken away from the care that you still give, Josiah, and that you you know, still have to do the scans and do the things. And Allison just whoop, in her little carrier yep. went to St. Jude. And, <laughs> um, you know, that that has just been a part of y'all's story as well. Yeah. And the beauty from that. And that's a part of her story. And I wouldn't want to take that away from her or Jude either. Like, like you said, this is having a brother with special needs and with a very dramatic medical history is life-changing for them. Even yeah. though Jude, he spent, only a few days at St. Jude with us. Um, ever. Ever. Yeah. And Allison grew up there from yeah. <laughs> ages birth, basically, birth to three um, or four, going to all the St. Jude parties, doing all the appointments with Josiah. Um, it's a big piece of their life, too. Yeah. And we don't we don't know how that's going to be used. We don't know mm-hmm. who they're going to grow up to be. So yeah. it's really exciting to yeah. think about. Yeah. Josiah St. Saint Jude Oncologist, actually, the, I think the first person we told that we were pregnant. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you're right. It sort of just like came out. I mean, we just trusted him with everything. And... Honestly, you know what it was? It was because that was the time that he got RSV and mm-hmm. they were like, you know, they always ask you before an x-ray, like, do you, when he was literally little, I always went in with them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, is there any chance you could be pregnant? And I had to be like, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, okay. But the the first thing Doctor B said to us was, "You don't have to worry about this diagnosis again." Yeah. And I don't think I'd realized I was afraid of that yeah. until he said it. You yeah. know, just that diagnosis was so rare, and it's not genetic. It's just. But we had had that conversation of of like, maybe we don't. Maybe this is our only kid. We don't. Again, we don't know what what this is going to be like. But he he put that to peace. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it was it was a huge weight off our shoulders. Yeah. You know, and then eventually we told our parents and stuff. You know, (laughs) down the road. (laughs) And other families, I. I know can definitely understand that. I mean, I I remember even the joy of telling forest nurses and staff, you know, that we were pregnant again and um, them being just as excited. I I swear as us of, (laughs) you know, we we were we were going to try again. And, um, you know, ours, we didn't have quite the reassurance that it wouldn't happen again. And so we had more of that fear. But again, when do you ever have reassurance that this life is given? You're never ready to become a parent. You're never ready to have your first job. You're never ready. You just do it. And y'all see it (laughs) in the world that you're in, parent mentoring St. Jude families. I see it in the world of where I parent mentor ICU families. And I'm, I'm thankful for my personality type that it is not the type that feels like I got to just bubble up my children and wrap them. Because some of the terrible, awful, traumatic things that I have seen in the ICU will definitely make you question Mm. ever letting your child out of the house. Um, But we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And and we are not guaranteed. And and so for me, I am cautious. I am, you know, and and then David seeing what he sees. There are certain things that our children are not allowed to do that maybe other children (laughs) are. um, But they don't live in a bubble where they're not allowed to still be kids. I mean, we have, every one of our children has broken something (laughs) 
for trying to do a box jump that he most definitely could not do. We broke an elbow. Uh, Climbing a tree and swinging with last words, watch this. Which Famous mm-mm. last words. Famous. David, uh-huh. David, David's <laughs> words are famous last words of a child, watch this. Famous last words of an adult, hold my beer. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> those words come out of those people's mouths and you know something bad is about to happen. Yeah. And so her famous last words to her brothers who were playing baseball in the yard was, watch this. We did not end well. And then, get down. Uh-huh. And then it became, you know, broken. Yeah, we broke an arm because we we're diving for a foul ball. So, you know, in normal life, for sure. Yeah. Um, yes. But I think y'all most definitely have taken beauty from ashes. And y'all mm-hmm. have lived a very beautiful life and not without hardship and not without having to dig deep and deal with some really hard junk that not only medically, but even in your own marriage and journey and motherhood and fatherhood and job and everything else, you know, God really put some really hard things. And I feel like just someone that knows y'all and, but also is you know on the outside as well, um, has seen the beauty. And um, even the, you know, we weren't, the fun was not, in 09, what we are today. And so I think about if this had happened today, all the ways that I could help you now and all the things I could do and how I would swoop in and, and probably do more than you want me to do. And But in 09, we weren't quite there. But I think that y'all see that too, that by being parent mentors or being supportive to us, whether it's Stephen helping us so much with <laughs> IT and website and emails and podcasts. Stephen was a huge part of this getting up and running. And Mary and mm-hmm. Josiah coming and helping us inventory and recover from the fire. And um, y'all have just been a gift to the fund. And so in turn, you're a gift to the families that we serve and love. And so um, true beauty from ashes. And so mm-hmm. from all of us at the Forceman's Fund, thank you for who you are. Um, thank you for the journey that you've walked and that you continue to walk. And thanks for sharing your story. I know it's never easy to do. Just even thinking about doing a interview or a talk or, um, you know, talking about Josiah's story, that it can dredge up hard things. And um, so I just appreciate you all doing this for us today and sharing your story and and, and giving hope because mm-hmm. um that's what we hope that in the face of illness is something that you can feel hope from whatever the ending or diagnosis or what happens that there's hope and um, that we are also leaving you whether it's you glean something because you're supporting someone that has a sick child you know someone that has a sick child or you yourself have a sick child we hope that you can walk away and have learned something from this and so thank you Stephen and Mary for your time thank you thanks Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.